0: <laughs> in, in 30 minutes, right? <laughs> well, you know, Josh, I've been a professional writer for most of my working life. And in, in college, I studied literature, but I also uh, trained um, as an actor. And I I thought you know yeah I was gonna be I was gonna be a star someday right and uh, I for various reasons um, I found that I was getting out of college s- struggling if I if I were to wait tables or you know New York and whatever they got to be pretty challenging so I returned to where my family was in Chicago. And I went into, I looked for jobs in advertising as an advertising copywriter. And I didn't end up right there. I ended up uh, writing industrial films, corporate movies. And I did that, I did educational film. And then I got involved in computer graphics. And then I started writing books and articles about um, technology, and so I did that for uh, quite a long time. I all that time, I was writing plays, screenplays, short stories, and it was later in my career that I turned one of my unsold screenplays into a novel. That was a satire called My Inflatable Friend, and I had been represented by a a pretty high powered book agent for nonfiction. I'd done most, I'd done like 30 books. Uh, One one was called Excel for Windows Quick and Easy. Okay, (laughs) that one bought me a good used car. Uh, So, um, but when I went to turn to doing fiction, which was about 15 years ago, um, that agent said, well, you know, we can't help you with fiction. And that was just a gobsmack. I mean, that was really a surprise because I'd, I'd, I'd been with them for a long time. And so as a result of that, I ended up getting very much involved in self-publishing just about the time that eBooks were introduced. And since that time, I, you know, I have my own small press publishing imprint and, and I've written uh, 12 novels and in the last two years, I've won, yeah, in the last two years, I've won 14 book awards. So the latest novel is this one, Preacher Raises the Dead. That's the third in the, I call it the Evan Wycliffe Mystery Series. Evan is the preacher of the title. And this, this is really about my roots in the farmland of southern Missouri. That's where my my family is from. And I had and I I in high school I actually was a student minister for a short time. And you know then I went to college and kind of learned too much about the history of Christianity. And 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 like my main character Evan uh, I also studied astronomy and astrophysics because you know you're looking for the big answers. You know, <laughs> why, why are we here? You know, how did how did all this come to be? And of course, you don't find any really satisfying answers there. You find more questions than answers. So I, as a re- he had some personal reversals there in, in college age, and he ends up going back to Southern Missouri, uh, and really he, he can. He, you know, you can't really find much work on the farm these days. So, he ends up getting gigs as a guest preacher in the local churches and he also is because he's a good data driller, you know, he knows how to use a laptop. He, uh, he's a pretty good researcher and, and he, he works for the local car dealer running down people who skipped on their loans. So, he's, he's, he's not a deadbeat, but, you know, he's not exactly a, a, a pillar of society. But it turns out that people start coming to him because they understand that he's got this investigative ability. He's got this curious mind. You'd call him an amateur sleuth. That's what That would be what the book genre would be, I suppose. But they come to him with problems that really nobody else is interested in solving. You know, cold cases, if you will. And so in the first book in the series, uh, actually that is somewhat inspired by something that happened in my own family um someone close to me um killed themselves uh as a result of as a result of a, a land grab dispute in that part of the world and i got involved in researching oh my uh it turns out that during the civil war that was a no-man's land and the union troops had kicked the people out of their farmhouses and said don't come back until after the war and then of course you go back and nobody had anything written down and here's these squatters living in your house saying well this is our place (laughs) we lived here for the last year okay and then before that Of course, the Union troops had run off the Indian tribes in the area. That was their their land. So if you want to sell a farm in southern Missouri, it's actually kind of hard to prove that you own it. So that that engendered the first story. And um, as I say, that series won uh, uh, quite a few uh, book awards. And I find that in fiction, my... My main advice would be: It is so competitive these days. There's about a, a million books published every year. And that, this is largely a result of the advent of the ebook. It is very relatively easy to get published as compared to what it used to be. Uh, but you've got so much competition. My advice would be: Don't chase agents. Don't chase publishers. Get in the game as soon as possible, and learn what it is to be an author, learn social media, learn publishing, learn publicity, learn, just start to build an audience, start Start to get yourself out there, like be, being on a show like yours, you know, you're a brand, promote yourself. Because if you get a, a deal with a major publisher, number one, you're gonna have a lot less control, but number two, they're gonna want you to do all the same effort. It's not like, you know, in the old days, and in the really old days, decades ago, You know, a publisher would take you under their wing and they'd kind of build your career. They don't do that anymore. It's just like, actually, what I compare it to is GarageBand. Okay, because GarageBand was kind of like the the early phase of like the digital revolution. You could could self-publish as a (laughs) GarageBand, as a musician, way before you could be a self-published filmmaker or a self-published author. So GarageBands understand that what do you do in the beginning? No limousine is going to drive up to your garage door and say, hey, kid, how'd you like to play the Hollywood Bowl? You've got to get out there. You've got to expose yourself. You've got to tell people you exist. You've got to to create. And why do you create? I got news for you. You create because you have to. You can't do anything else. You know, and if you're a storyteller... You've just got that in there. You have to express, and you know it's funny because you know, people think of it. Oh well, you know, how do I make money at it? And it's so speculative, and it's interesting because I ran into a, a fellow um, who was a tax preparer, and he used to be an agent for the IRS. And I said, "What? Well, what is this about? You know, how can I? How can I convince people that this is not a hobby? I mean, I've been at this for." Decades, okay, but I mean I'm not a, a millionaire best you know, New York Times best selling author yet. And he said, Well think of it this way. Is an oil while think about being an oil while catter. Is that a hobby? <laughs> you could spend your entire lifetime drilling for oil and you might never find any, but you know, the IRS will respect the money that you're investing in that. So this isn't tax advice. I mean, it's tax season right now, but, um, I wouldn't necessarily, you know, please don't rely on that when you get your, your, your IRS audit. But, uh, I found that amusing that, that, that he knew that the arts, um, is really has a very different character from, um, other types of professions because it is so highly, highly, highly competitive. And, um, you know, and then the other rule is, I mean, you know, I, I live in, in Los Angeles area and, you know, I've learned that one of the things that the the Los Angeles Times and the Hollywood Reporter expect is that if you, if you do make it to being a star, you need to invent a story about how you made it overnight. (laughs) Nobody makes it overnight. (laughs) It just doesn't happen. You know, you, you work at it, you know, and yeah, there's a lot of luck. And, and people say, all right, well, you do it because you really couldn't be doing anything else. Or you'd be unhappy doing anything else. But yeah, okay, maybe your day job is a is a waiter or a, a car salesman or you know something else. But yeah, you know you you're one way or another. You're a storyteller. So and you know my family, uh, you know I've got I've got two younger brothers and they tease me about all the time about being a writer and they say, well, you always were a storyteller and you never told the truth. You always exaggerated the stories. <laughs> it's like. Okay, and, and, and there's a problem here? I made them more interesting. <laughs> well, don't talk about us. <laughs> so that's my... Well, you know, I mean, the, it, the other thing that writers soon learn is that one of the differences between nonfiction, even memoir, and fiction is fiction has to make sense. <laughs> the truth really doesn't you know if you set out set down somebody's life exactly the way it happened this is why autobiography can be kind of boring you know you don't start with well in a hospital in kansas city missouri i was born and no you all you begin at what what writing instructors will call the point of attack you begin at the most interesting point and a, you'll find this in movies too, if you if you pay some attention, is that often movies will start with a crisis situation. They'll put you right in the middle of the battle or the argument or the fist fight or whatever happens to be the interesting moment. And before that's resolved, they'll cut away and then they'll kind of start with the backstory. Like in the, the subtitle on the screen will say five years before that. You know, and so you're now you're finding out what happened to that character to get them into this mess. Well, of course, before the end of the movie, they're going to fight their way back out of that mess. You know, that used to be the old formula of the uh, the Charles Bronson's movie and, and, and some of the some of the Schwarzenegger movies before he was our governor. Um, you know, something really bad, something really Unjust would happen to a member of his family or a friend. You know, his his wife and his daughters would be killed in the first scene or something like that. Well, that gave him a motivation and a license to hunt those bad guys down and do them just as bad before the final reel. And a lot of people, I think, didn't know. That during charles bronson's career he's not with us anymore but during charles bronson's career he was actually the most popular actor on the planet and that's because revenge movies cross borders more easily than dramas and comedies because comedy is rooted in language okay i mean you know there's sight gags of course yes but even even then French comedy and British comedy, Americans don't necessarily, <laughs> you know, but action movies, you can actually turn off the audio and kind of understand what's going on in an action movie, okay? And here in Santa Monica, you know, there's the annual uh, American film market. And when young directors are showing their quote unquote sample reels to distributors, they they become very surprised to find out that very often they'll shove that DVD in the player or start it off on their laptop and say, yeah, yeah, you know, I got this hot movie and everybody but and the distributor says, turn the sound off. <laughs> what? Turn the sound off. I want to see whether it plays. <laughs> so, but here I am, you know, as a novelist and it's in language, and you know, we get down to arguments or debates among writers. When do you sh- when when do you show and when do you tell? Because you know, the quote unquote old fashioned approach is there was a lot of tell. You know, tell us, grandpa, tell us that story. And how did that happen? But, you know, in the age of cinema and graphics and and we're bombarded with visual experiences and media even virtual reality now okay a lot of agents and publishers maintain that readers are so much more visual they want everything they want they want real time descriptions of actions and art you know that aristotle said conflict is drama so okay you, An argument is as good as a fist fight you can quote me on that one but the th- the thing that I I feel is that there are times when you tell there are times when you show and you a good novelist needs to be able to do both and know when you show when you tell I mean one of the reasons you tell is if you've got two action scenes but they're separated in time you don't want to show everything that happened between one and the next now of our filmmaker, they might just cut from one to the next. Well, maybe reading in the novel, I don't want to turn the page and find out it's twenty years later. So you're going to have to you're going to have to tell me what happened during that time, but don't take twenty pages to tell me what happened during that time. Give me a paragraph. It like he got older, he got wiser. Uh, the bad guy hunted him down and caught you know and 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 caught him in a dark alley. Okay, all right. That's telling. But then, then you start in with, he said, "Draw your gun, dude." All right. Well, now you're into an action scene. You know that you're describe you're, you're showing. You know, moment to moment. So, it helps to study screenwriting. It helps to think visually, uh, because people do expect it. But uh, I like to think that literature also. I, I mean, when a writer like John le Carré or pick a romance writer, um, uh, Ann Tyler, you know, Family Melodrama. They're both experts at telling you in very subtle ways uh, things that happened. And one of my favorite uh, examples with le Carré is that um, he uses the word or the term close observer, you know, because he's his his books are mostly spy thriller. So, you know, he's got he's got Joe, George Smiley working for, you know, the British Secret Service. And and he's a, you know, he's a kind of a bumbling, middle aged, unassuming intellectual fellow. But he can tell you the, the license plates of every car that he passed on his way home, on his walk home, because he's got that kind of training. He's that kind of close observer. Well, in teaching you what spies do as close observers how they pay attention to everything that's going on whether they know whether what it means or not Lacare is actually training you to be a close observer as a reader and really what is a reader but a close observer and i do think that having read Lacare's books and i've read every one of them and some of them many many times is that I really do think I'm a better reader because I've read his books I think and in some ways I pay more attention to things that are going on around me and I think that makes me a better writer also I mean if you don't know if you don't know the skill if you don't know the skill of reading between the lines of making inferences based on a you know some random clues then you're going to kind of miss the point of some of these mystery novels. So, and I think it's, and I think readers find that delightful. And I try, when I write, I, I especially mysteries, I don't use an outline. I go where the characters want to go and they say what they want to say. And so, and my, my rule is, I write to surprise myself. I, I want the unexpected to happen. Because I want the reader to be surprised. And so I don't know how anybody could say any of my mysteries are predictable because I don't know how they're going to end. <laughs> you know? And I've had several reviewers say, I've had several reviewers say, you know, Gerald, I didn't really know what was how that was going to wrap up until the last page. And I say, neither did I. <laughs> so that's another... sure. sure. Yes. Well, as I showed you here on the book cover, it's Gerald Everett Jones. That's the spelling. So if you go to Gerald Everett Jones.com, then that's my website and you'll see really all the books. And actually on the landing page, the first book in this series is available for free as an ebook just for signing the, the mailing list. So that's one way to get involved in this in this mystery series is you can read the first one, um, uh, gratis, uh, just for visiting the uh, the website. And uh, I use Gerald Everett because there's a few other Gerald Joneses who write, and also you know Jerry Jones owns the D- Dallas Cowboy and he's no relation. I I, I don't you know I don't uh, need anybody borrowing money for me because I don't have all that much. Uh, Uh, despite how famous uh, I might be. Please. And you've got your choice. Kindle, EPUB, or PDF. You can have any of those. And then you'll also get my newsletter from time to time.